Good evening, everyone. Welcome. It's great to see you. Thanks for coming back. And the Lord's goodness and grace, we got here before it poured, and uh, it's certainly been raining hard the last few minutes, although it sounds like it's passing over, and uh, maybe by the time we leave, um, it won't even be raining anymore. Of course, I could speak long enough that we could achieve that, but, but I will resist the temptation, and I know that there is also a, a meeting tonight uh, that we have to be uh, cognizant of. Couldn't find my glasses. That's what was holding me up, and uh, without my glasses, I'm helpless. I can't read a thing, so thankful I've got them. We're ready to go. Uh, also, a disclaimer tonight, and uh, just a, a word of introduction. Uh, we are uh, on a pace of trying to do a chapter a night in the book of Revelation. Tonight is a challenge for chapter 13, is a, a chapter that is filled with some interesting and also difficult uh, portions. But uh, I'm going to stick to the plan, and uh, we're going to cover uh, chapter 13 uh, in its entirety tonight, which stands in contrast to the morning where we're working through Romans verse by verse and spending a whole message on just one verse. Um, so I, I think there's a lesson to be had in that, and that is in our Bible study, it's important that we have both an in-depth study of we're spending a lot of time and energy in a very small portion of the Word of God and trying to understand it and developing our thoughts, and that would include such things as word studies and, you know, if, if your English grammar is good, to uh, diagram some sentences and, and try to understand a, a particular uh, portion of Scripture. And then there's times just to read large volumes of Scripture and just get a sense of the overview, get a sense of the flow of Scripture. We want to do both. And uh, tonight, we're skimming the surface. And I look at this introduction taken from Grant R. Osborne's uh, commentary entitled uh, Revelation Verse by Verse. And uh, he says this, Satan's strategy for conducting his war against the woman and her offspring, chapter 12, verse 17, is now presented. It centers on the other two members of the false trinity, the beast from the sea and the beast from the earth. The first beast is the military and administrative head of the empire, and the second beast is the head of the one world religion centered on worshiping the beast and the dragon, the false prophet, in 1613. The dragon gives the beast his authority and his throne, chapter 13, verse 2, so the beast, in effect, is the son a parody on Christ as Son of God. As such, the beasts conduct the final war against God and his people and demand universal worship, end quote. So tonight we're going to try to unpack some of that and, and work our way through. Uh, this is a lengthy handout. It's 12 pages. Uh, so uh, I'm going to be skipping some things, and uh, those that are readily understandable and uh, that you can see. So, for example, number one, the beast. The appearance and the identity of the beast. The beast somewhat resembles the beast of Daniel chapter 7. Now here's where I'm going to fly. I'm only going to read the underlying portions because the point is just to demonstrate the fact that what we find in 
Revelation chapter 13 is very, very close to what we find in the book of Daniel chapter 7. For example, Revelation 13:1, I saw a beast rising out of the sea. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, and the great beast came up out of the sea. Now here's the significant difference. However, in Daniel, the beasts are four in number, and in Revelation, it is a single beast. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 3, it says, And four great beasts came out of the sea. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 1, it says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. So there is the most uh, unique or distinct uh, aspects of Daniel and Revelation. But now we look again at the similarities between Daniel chapter 7 and Revelation chapter 13. Uh, first, he's described as a lion, and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. Daniel, and the first was like a lion. Secondly, he's described as a bear. Its feet were like a bear's. Daniel chapter 7, verse 5, like a bear. In the book of Revelation, he's described as being like a leopard. And the beast I saw was like a leopard. Daniel chapter 7, verse 6, another like a leopard. The ten-horned beast, Revelation 13, 1, uh, with ten horns. Reve Daniel 7, 7, ten horns. So you can see that there is an awful lot of, of commonality between these two passages that would be interesting to develop at great lengths. I'm not going to. But for your further study, I'm just laying it out there that uh, as you study this beast of Revelation chapter 13, you're going to want to spend some time in the book of Daniel chapter 7 that helps to spread some insight into it. Number two, the beast exists in the form of governmental powers and the individuals that occupy those heads of power. Revelation 13, 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, and seven heads. There are seven heads or individuals. Uh, so these seven heads that are described are in fact people. They are people with authority. So they are heads in the sense of people with authority over others. Uh, we get that from noting that in Revelation 13, 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. All right, so one of these individuals we're going to find is going to be mortally wounded and, in fact, die. Uh, so they are, in fact, people. The ten horns represent ruling powers. Chapter 13, verse 1, I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, or crowns. So we're, we're talking about people in authority. We're, we're talking about a, a rule, a, a governmental uh, establishment here of people that are in charge over other people. The success of the beast. One of the leaders was killed, Revelation 13.3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. Uh, NAS translates it. Uh, I saw one of its heads as it had been slain. But this 
leader, this one that has been slain, comes back to life. Revelation 13, 3. But its mortal wound was healed. Uh, NAS. And his fatal wound was healed. So here is uh, an entity that, it appears, dies and comes back to life, or at least should have died. But it appears that they, the, the individual, in fact, dies, as you'll see as we move on. Uh, the people are amazed. Verse Three, one of it said, seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled, all right, because they're amazed. How is this possible that this individual dies and comes back to life? So that is noteworthy, to be sure. Which caused the beast to be believed. <clears throat> but its mortal wound was healed, the whole earth marveled, as they followed the beast. Uh, so now they are putting their trust, their confidence in this individual that has died and has come back to life. <clears throat> and the result was the dragon was worshipped. And they worshipped the dragon. And just to review, back in chapter 12, it clear, tells us clearly that the dragon is Satan. Uh, so now uh, Satan is worshipped. That's what Satan has always wanted. That's what Satan has always desired. Uh, that is, of course, the great temptation that he placed before Jesus. Uh, if you bow down and worship me, I will give you all these kingdoms of the earth. That's what Satan wants. And this is what Satan gets uh, at this point. The power of the beast. His power is supplied by Satan. And they worship the, the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. So it's the dragon, it's Satan, who gives this beast its authority. His power is universally acknowledged. Verse 4, And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? There is no one uh, that is like this individual. Uh, there is no one that can prevail against it. His power is self-proclaimed, and self-aggrandizing. Verse 5, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. So here is a proud individual that is speaking blasphemy, that is deriding the very person of God, and is going to be acting in place of God, wanting to be worshipped, wanting to be followed. His power is limited to a period of three and one-half years, Revelation 13, 5. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. <clears throat> D, the program of the beast, uh, chapter 13, verses 6 to 8. Verse 6, it says, it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Number one, it is a program directed against the saints. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints. So the animosity of the uh, beast is directed towards the people of God. It is a program that encompasses the entire world. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given in over every tribe and people and language and nation. All right. So 
this authority of the beast is, is vast. It is over every people, tongue, tribe, language, nation. Worldwide authority. This morning in Sunday school, I talked about the, first, the uh, future persecution that the church is going to experience. And I said one of the differentiating, differentiating factors of the persecution at this time is its vastness. Right now, there's persecution going on in a variety of places in this world. There are pockets of where Christians are giving their lives and are sacrificing. Uh, there have been times in church history when there have been great persecutions, such as at Rome under Nero. And we can go and look at places and realize that even the founding of our, our own country was Puritans that were fleeing from uh, persecution in uh, England and uh, in uh, Holland that came to America to escape the persecution that they were undergoing in England and in, uh, in Holland. So there have always been pockets of persecution. But here, it's worldwide. There will be no place to go to escape the persecution at that time. The, the other thing that I would just encourage you to, to think about, I don't want to get caught up in this, but it's important to realize that his authority is given over every tribe and people and language and nation. That terminology ought to strike a bell with you because there are going to be a people that are saved from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. Here we find the negative. Just as there are people that are saved from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, there will be people that are lost from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. That's very helpful to keep in mind as you work through Romans that we are in, and Romans 9, 10, and 11, where at the end of chapter 11 and going into 12, it talks about the fact that all Israel will be saved. It's talking about the true Israel. It's not talking about every single Jewish person. For the scripture tells us that there will be lost people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. So there will be lost people from the tribe of Judah. There will be lost people from the tribe of Dan. There will be lost people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It tells us right here. And as we work through Romans, we'll find out what that means when it says all Israel will be saved. And it's really pretty clear. But I'm just... Giving you a heads up. Moving on. It is a program that will be successful. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. So the saints are going to be subdued. Uh, they are going to uh, be silenced. Uh, they are going to be uh, unable to uh, proclaim the gospel. Number four, it will result in a widespread worship of the beast. And all who dwell on the earth shall worship it. So there is going to be a, a, a tremendous spiritual uh, working that is taking place, but it is an ungodly spiritual working. 
that uh, there is going to be a religiosity, but it's going to be a false religion. And it's going to be a, a, a false uh, worship that is going to be entered into. Five, the success of the program will be limited for the true believer will not be deceived. Revelation 13, 8. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. So put positively, if your name is written in the book of life, you will not be deceived. But if your name is not written in the book of life, you will be deceived, which is very much in keeping with what we saw in Romans this morning. Uh, our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Those whom he foreordained, uh, those he predestined, those whom he predestined, those he called, those whom he called, he justified, those whom he justified, he glorified. Number seven, it is a program that is ultimately directed against God. It opens its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, and, his, and that is those who dwell in heaven. E, the pronouncement against the program of the beast. The pronouncement serves as warning to the followers of the beast. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. The pronouncement serves as an encouragement to the saints. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. In Sunday school this morning, we looked at the beatitude that said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if we are persecuted, we are to rejoice, and we are to give thanks, for so persecuted they the prophets who are before us. We emphasize this morning that the response to persecution is to be endurance, and I demonstrated that in a number of passages that we went to, and the common thread of persecution is we need to endure it. Uh, we need to be steadfast. We need to be faithful. We need to prepare our hearts and minds. We need to have faith that this is all in keeping with God's sovereign purpose and will for our lives. Uh, life hasn't run amok, all right? Those that are appointed to be slain are going to be slain. Those who are appointed to captivity are going to be taken captive. All right? So not everyone's going to die. Um, some are going to be taken captive, and that captivity uh, runs a broad gamut of uh, being up, up, uprooted and, and moved. Uh, it can include imprisonment, include, include a lot of things. And the point here is that not everyone's going to have the same experience, but it's going to be difficult for all but it's going to be in keeping with the sovereign purpose and will of God. Number two, the rising of the second beast of the earth is a deceptive beast. Revelation 13, 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. <clears throat> it exercises all the authority of the first beast in, a, in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. His description and identity, his description... <clears throat> it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. 
The fact that he looks like a lamb speaks of his meek and mild and even may allude to his representing himself as Messiah. Uh, B, the fact that he spoke as a dragon speaks of his deceptiveness and that he is in fact not good but evil. All right? So he's going to be a false Messiah. He's going to be a false Christ. And he is going to be representing himself as good but in fact is evil. His identity... I think that we must understand the second beast as a human being. For verse 18 says, This calls for wisdom, that the one who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. So the beast is referred to as a man, a a human being. Uh, This antichrist is going to be, in fact, a human being that is going to rise to this incredible uh, power and He is going to be the false Christ. He is going to present himself as the Messiah. And many people are going to be duped in believing that he, in fact, is the the Messiah, his power. His power is similar to that of the first beast in that it is satanic in its source. Verse 12, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth inhabitants worship the beast whose moral moon was was healed. His power is primarily religious and secondarily governmental. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. But this idea of making people worship uh, doesn't seem to be at this point gun to the head kind of make, but rather uh, it is is going to be a, a, a persuasiveness. It is going to be as a result of the signs and the wonders that he does that is going to cause everyone to to worship and follow him. All right? So the making is coercive, if you will. Uh, His power is persuasive as opposed to solely autocratic. His power is miraculous in nature. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. I'll say more about that in just a moment. His power will deceive many into thinking he represents God, not Satan. It deceives those who dwell on the earth. So everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life is going to be taken in. They're going to believe that this individual is acting on the behalf of God when he, in fact, is acting on behalf of the evil one. And so, hence, the persecution. Because those who are identifying with the true and living God are going to be viewed as false worshipers and followers of the evil one. Uh, Everything's going to be put on its head. The powers described. He will do great powers that are intended to be signs. Verse 13, it performs great signs. Number two, he will be able to make fire come down out of heaven as Elijah did, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. So this Antichrist is going to do the kinds of things that the prophets did in the Old Testament. The miracles that he is going to perform are going to be of the same kind and nature as the prophets of the Old Testament performed. 
that's what's going to be so deceiving. That's what's going to really take people in because he's able to do these things that up until now, uh, the evil one didn't do. If you remember when uh, uh, Elijah is on the top of uh, the mount and calls down fire from heaven, if you remember the worshipers of Baal tried to do the same thing and couldn't. But here, he will. Number three, the designs will deceive many into worshiping following him. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth. So that is what is effectual. That is what is causing people to follow him. It's these miracles that he is, he is performing. Number four, they will make an idol to the one who would receive the fatal wound. And by the signs that is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So now we find that this um, mortal wound was actually a fatal sword blow that brings an end of the life of this, of this uh, beast, this individual, now this individual is brought back to life, and now a statue, an idol, is made of this individual that is to be worshipped. And they are to worship this, this idol that is a representation, okay, a statue, a figure of this one who has come back to life. D, the mark of the beast. The inhabitants of the earth will have to ha take the mark of the beast in order to buy and sell. This is the mark of ownership, Revelation 13, 16. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, so whatever class you are in, whatever place of authority, it's irrelevant, all right? Uh, no one is going to be exempt. To be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So uh, in order to be able to do business, uh, this is some kind of worldwide governmental authority that is being imposed uh, in order to do commerce, uh, in order to uh, have any Commodity exchange, money isn't going to mean anything. Uh, you're going to have to have this, this, this mark that is going to be the authentication uh, and the uh, ability to buy and sell. Number two, the mark of the beast is antithetical to the mark of God's people. Remember in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Revelation 22, 3 and 4. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Uh, we, when we were going through chapter 7, I mentioned the fact that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. We bear the marks, if you will, of uh, Jesus Christ. That's what uh, Paul says in the book of Galatians. And so, here are these two entities. All right, They're going to be the people that are God's people and are identified with him, and then there are going to be the satanic people who are identified with him. All right? And they have this, this mark of ownership. 
The mark of the beast is described. This calls for wisdom, but the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Hey, this is the source of the greatest amount of speculation surrounding the study of the book of Revelation. All right? <clears throat> can't tell you the number of books. I can't tell you the amount of speculation over what is the 666 and who is it. All right? And uh, down through the ages, there have been some interesting postulations. And, and you can see why they were. All right? Historically. One of the figures that uh, has came up was, it's Hitler. And, uh, you know, uh, during the Holocaust, uh, Jews were uh, actually uh, stamped on their, their hands. Uh, they actually had numbers uh, that they uh, were assigned when they, they went to uh, the prison camps. You can see where Hitler might have come up as this worldwide figure trying to do... Uh, Evil, et cetera, et cetera. Mussolini. I mean, I'm not going to go into There have just been a host and a host and a host of people, uh, everything from the Pope to you name it, of who this individual is. We don't know. Okay? Um, we don't know. I'll say more about that in a moment. B, this is the Antichrist referred to in the Scriptures. First John 2.18. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. Um, in the scriptures, the last days, when we think of the last days, we think of future. We think of the very last days before Christ returns. But in the scripture, the last days cover the period from the resurrection of Jesus Christ to his return. This whole period of time, from the resurrection to, of Jesus Christ to his return are the last days. All right? Uh, and it's saying in these last days, we see Antichrist. We see false prophets. We see people that are trying to deceive us from the truth. Matthew 24, 23 and following says, Then, now this is speaking about a time future to us. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Well, it's not possible. Uh, the elect are not going to be led astray, but he's going to be so persuasive that it's only the elect that aren't. Everyone else is going to be led astray. See, I have told you beforehand, so if you say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Uh, so if someone says to you, Christ is over here, don't believe it. If someone says, even though they do great and mighty miracles, well, don't believe it. One of the things that is setting our world up for uh, failure is the pragmatism of our day. Uh, if it works, adopt it. If it seems to have power, then embrace it. Uh, the failure to honor the word of God and to prize truth over all things is going to be the demise. 
It is because people will be blinded to the truth because they're not seeking truth, and they will simply accept on face value the power of this individual. If they can do these things, then it must be right. And the church is already getting set up for that, for in many circles, the thought is if you can do a miracle, that proves whatever doctrine it is that you have. If you're able to do something that is out of the ordinary, well then, obviously, God is at work here, and who are you to, to stand in judgment? Okay? We constantly have to go back to the Word of God. That is our source of truth and understanding. C, the wisdom and understanding, where it says at the top of the page, Revelation 13, 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for his number of man and his number is 666. C, the wisdom and understanding is not in figuring out ahead of time what the mark is or who it represents. The wisdom and understanding is to not accept the mark when it's presented. For the believer, it will be incredibly apparent when the time comes what is indeed taking place. All right? In other words, we, the people of God, when this is occurring, is going to be absolutely apparent. You aren't going to be taking the mark of the beast by mistake. You know, I've heard people say, you know, credit cards and, you know, we're talking about implanting chips and all this stuff. Is that the mark of the beast and everything else? When it comes, you'll know it. D, an idol coming to life that represents a false prophet that was killed is going to be pretty hard to miss. Okay? You, you're not going to have to sit and, and wonder an awful lot about who this person is when you see this worldwide figure that is a religious entity that is put to death and then rises again and then there is an idol that's made to look like that person it's going to be pretty obvious. Not obvious to us now, but obvious then. So some concluding remarks. A, a key element to this narrative is that the fatal wound of the one of the heads of the beast. It's mentioned three times in the narrative. Verse 3, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. <clears throat> Revelation 13, 12, whose mortal wound was healed. And Revelation 13, 14, image uh, to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It is the primary reason that he gets such a following. It is the fact that this person comes back from the dead that is the trump card, if you will. It is intended to be a miracle akin to the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, This Antichrist is out to present himself as Christ. And the power to call down fire from heaven is going to be pretty persuasive. The other miracles and signs that he does are going to be pretty persuasive. But when this individual dies and comes back to life, wow. That's going to be pretty persuasive. This is the Messiah. This is the true and living Christ. We have never seen anything like that before. B, it is essential to understand 
that the only reason the beast has such powers is because God allowed him to do these things. Number one, God allows the beast to utter blasphemies and exercise power. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty, blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority. All right? So we're not talking about a struggle that's going on in heaven. We're not talking about an incredible boxing match or a wrestling match. And it seems like God is winning, and then all of a sudden it appears that God is losing, and Satan is on top and going for a pin, and God miraculously gets out of the hold, and now God is on top, and he is going for a death blow, and now Satan kicks out, and now he's battling again and going for a takedown. This is not about a cosmic war of two great entities battling out to the end. This is a sovereign God who is in control from beginning to end. And this beast, who is representing himself as having complete authority over every tongue, tribe, people, and nation, is actually under the authority of the living and true God. He can't do anything that God doesn't allow. Two, God allows the beast to conquer the saints. Verse seven, and it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. Again, this is not <clears throat> Satan having the upper hand. This is not Satan <clears throat> losing the war but winning the battle. This is Satan only doing what God has allowed him to do. That is a lesson for us for all ages, all times. That includes right now, all right? Satan cannot do anything that God does not permit him to do. Our God is in control. And so we should never, ever give that kind of authority or respect to the evil one. Uh, yes, he is greater than we are, but he's never greater than the true and living God. Three, God allows the beast to receive universal worship. Verse 7 and 8, And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation to all who dwell on the earth. That authority that is being allowed is allowed by God. C, we should keep in mind the significance of this for the believers. We are to listen to the point of the warning. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. God has appointed us to these things. If anyone is to be taken captive, to t captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with, a, with a, uh, the sword must he be slain. It is referring to God's appointment to be taken to a captivity or to be taken by the sword. I constantly encourage you to read the Bible through. Uh, and I can't say it enough because we underestimate the incredible value of understanding the Old Testament in its informative nature of the New Testament. That we, we have to learn the lessons that are given to us in, in the Old Testament. And remember, in the book of Jeremiah, the whole struggle with Jeremiah's prophecy and Jeremiah's ministry is that Jeremiah is saying, people, we are going to Babylon by the will of God. 
You need to accept this. You need to put yourself under the authority of God. Don't rebel against this. And remember, some tried to flee from Egypt and they are imprisoning Jeremiah because of his prophecy and they don't want to hear it. Uh, they, they are having false prophets standing up and saying, no, God is going to deliver us. God is going to see us through. We're never going to experience this stuff. And of course, they do experience these things. Jeremiah is put on trial for treason because uh, he is undermining the, the uh, confidence of the army and rightfully so, because God has appointed the Israelites for captivity. And Daniel was one that was appointed to be taken captive. And Daniel, of course, rises up and uh, is instrumental in uh, the purpose and, and work of God, who raises up kings and removes kings. So these important Old Testament lessons come to us in force as we read the book of Revelation. Uh, these things are going to happen in accordance with the sovereign plan and will of God. Ours is to believe it, to accept it, to prepare ourselves, and to worship and serve him. D. We should learn a great lesson from this passage. Number one, truth is not to be discerned from power alone. Uh, it's not just the miracles. It's, it's not just a pragmatism. It's not just what works. We are always to be measuring our beliefs by what does the Word of God say. Uh, and the worse things get, the more the imperative to know, understand, believe, and obey the Word of God. We want to give ourselves to the Word of God. And you know, that, that's not only true in terms of persecution, but you know, even in terms of, of our own lives, as, as we prepare death for death, as, as we get older, as we get weaker, as things happen. And you know, we men may have been uh, unfortunately taught a falsehood that says, as long as you have faith, nothing terrible is going to happen to you. Well, someday you're going to realize that's not true. Someday you're going to realize you have an awful lot of faith, and yet I'm dying. All right? Uh, faith is not going to keep you from dying. Um, it's pointed unto man once to die, and then uh, the resurrection. What we need to do is prepare ourselves for our hardships, our difficulties. We need to know what the Word of God says so that it comes back and nourishes us and strengthens us and grants us comfort. So we realize that we are not far from God, but actually God is with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. God hasn't abandoned us in the times of our trials and hardships and difficulties. God is with us. And God will give us grace. And God will help us. And we're focusing tonight on the negative. But the point is that God is going to be with his people. He is the one that is going to grant endurance. There are stories of the martyrs who have went to the flames singing hymns and offering praise to God. As we submit ourselves to him, as we ask for God's grace, he is going to sustain us. He is going to see us through these difficult days. That's the message to be heard. 
That is the great preparation, all right? We don't need to fear this. We are not to be afraid of this. We are to see that this is the ultimate conquering of the people of God to demonstrate the power of God that we can't be silenced by the evil one, but we will endure by God's grace. And uh, I can't wait to get to Romans at the end of chapter 8. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are conquerors through him. Three, does the power lead us to worship the true and living God, or does the power lead us away from the living and true God? And I use that power in a very genetic, a generic way tonight as we think of the pragmatic, pragmatic world in which we live. If it works, then follow it. If it doesn't work, then find something else that does. Um, no, follow the word of God. Uh, that's the source of truth. Uh, that is the way to discern right from wrong. Uh, that is the way to stand true uh, to our almighty, loving God. All right. I know that was fast. I know that was a lot of things, but we are through chapter 13. Let's pray. Our Father, may the great lesson of which we go away with tonight is to realize that our, our foe, our enemy, the evil one, is indeed a mighty foe. Uh, Lord, we are incapable of standing against the evil one on our, on our own. He is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But, O oh God, you have complete and ultimate authority over the evil one. Lord, our lives are in your hand. We are your people. And no entity is able to snatch us from the hand of God. For Jesus Christ has authority over all things, both in heaven and in earth. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Lord, help us to have confidence in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to look to you and to realize that you have a purpose, you have, you have a reason, you have a design. Even in this day and age in which we live, and we see our brothers and sisters in some foreign lands, that are dying for their faith. Uh, Lord, this is in keeping with your plan. This is in keeping with your will. This is going to result in your glory. And uh, Lord, help us to be prepared in our own hearts and minds, even for some tough days that we might face, and maybe it's not even persecution, but it might just be uh, a disease, a limitation, uh, that uh, is going to be a cross for us to bear. We thank you, O oh God, that your design, your end in all of this is the good. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, it's still raining. Those of you who want to hear more, stay. No, uh, we're done. And uh, uh, day camp's meeting. So keep that in mind. Thank you all. We're dismissed.